When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a bi-weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode five, and we are recording on Monday, November 2nd. I'm Amanda Nelson, your host and the managing editor of Book Riot, and I am here with Hannah Oliver-Depp. Hannah is a bookseller and the merchandise display manager at Politics and Prose, a bookstore in D.C. She's also a Book Riot contributor and a LitHub contributor. She's currently working on launching a new podcast and blog titled The Post-Racial, Post-Gender, Post-Podcast Podcast. That's amazing. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, with Anton Bogomazov, who is known around the web as John Rebending. She teaches classes at Politics and Prose on reimaginings of archetypal characters from King Arthur to Sherlock Holmes. Her job allows her to combine two passions, psychoanalyzing dead white guys, which I love, and putting <laughs> diverse stories into their bewildered descendants' hands. So if you're in the D.C. area at all, Hannah hosts our Read Herder book club at Upshur, uh, Upshur Street Books, uh, where she and other riot people gather once a month to drink good wine and talk about all things books. So you can go check that out. I will leave a link to that in the show notes. She's online everywhere as at Oliver Depp. So welcome to my show. Yay. Thank you for coming on. I'm excited to be here. Oh, yeah. I like talking about books. <laughs> oh, good. Otherwise, you got I mean, go. it would be awkward otherwise. Yeah, totally would. Yeah. Um, so really quick, I'm going to explain how the podcast works for any first-time listeners. This is a write-in recommendation so show. So if you have recommendation requests that you need for yourself, for a gift, for your book club, anything, you can send them over to me. You can go on Book Riot to the Get Booked, um, what is it called, like feed, whatever, bookwrite.com slash get booked, and go into the latest episode, and at the bottom of the post will be a form where you can drop your question, or you can email it directly to me at getbooked at bookwrite.com, and we will answer it on the show. Uh, we will get to every question. I try to get them as fast as I can, but if it's not answered immediately, don't fret. I will get to it, I promise. Um, before we get into the questions for this week, I want to remind you guys that Book Riot Live is this weekend. Woo! November 7th and 8th. Oh, yeah. Um, this is our two-day reader conference that we're having in New York City. And it's going to be so much fun. Margaret Atwood will be there and Daniel Jose Older and N.K. Jemison and Sarah McLean. And you know, just so many of our favorite um, authors from around, you know, Book Riot. And, of course, about a thousand other Book Riot readers and book lovers. Um, it's going to be so much fun. We're doing, like, like what are we doing? Bookish Pictionary. We're going to do Book Jeopardy games panels i'm hosting a panel um i'm hosting two panels moderating faith and literature where i'll be Ooh. talking to a bunch of different authors about how they work their faith or their lack of faith into their fiction um, i'm also hosting the uh, fight the good fight panel which is about literary activism what to do to combat discrimination what readers can do to combat discrimination in publishing how much of that is your responsibility at all that sort of thing so that'll be a lot of fun um, we do have one day passes this show is going to go up on thursday and the show starts on saturday so it's yeah, short notice if you're just now hearing about it. But we do have one-day passes, so if you're in the area uh, and just want to stop in for one day, go to bookwritelive.com. You can get a one-day pass. If you want to get a full registration for two days, use the, the promo code GETBOOKED, which is, of course, the title of this show, for $20 off. Okay, that's that. Woo! Also, I've decided to go ahead and wear my Book Riot t-shirts to the Book Riot event, totally. even though that's kind of like wearing the band t-shirt, but I don't care. I'm I doing think it everyone anyway. is going to do that. Like, I'm only packing my Book Riot t-shirts. Yeah. I have like my... four out of print shirts and five Book Riot t-shirts for a two-day thing, so who knows? 
Do we will have room for changing? I'm sure there will be <laughs> in the bathroom or whatever. You could probably change in the reading lounge. I don't know. We are going to have a reading lounge. That's how you know it's a real book conference mm -hmm. reading lounge. All right, so I'm going to go ahead and read question one. Then we will do our first sponsor. Then we will get to the answers. These questions are not. I mean, like for the last couple of episodes, we've had like a genre theme. There is no genre theme here. Hannah's an excellent bookseller, so I just picked like a hodgepodge <laughs> of questions from all kinds of genres because I needed that I knew I would need expert help with. So no, no unifying theme here. Okay, question one. Hello, I'm looking for something awesome for my husband for our upcoming anniversary. He's a chef and I've done the cookbook thing perhaps to death. I'm always on the lookout for the best sorts of cookbooks and I'm not adverse to getting another one, but it has to be the right one. He's very particular. Professional cookbooks are great as are food memoirs, food history, and similar sorts of books like that. For example, he has a history of food, salt, a world history, and the professional chef and about 50 other cookbooks in that vein. Help send me in the right direction for something extraordinary that will renew his second love. I'm his first, of course. His second <laughs> love is food. Thanks for being awesome. That's from Tiffany. Okay, so before we get to the answers, I want to really quickly do our first sponsor, which is Penguin Random House Audio. Thank you for sponsoring the show yet again. Are you an audiobook person, Hannah? I am. Yes. Very much so. I love an audiobook. I'm listening to, what am I? Oh, I think I'm still listening to Big Magic. Wait, well, that's a Penguin oh, nice. Random House book. So yeah. I love Elizabeth Gilbert who of course wrote Eat, Pray, Love, even though I hated Eat, Pray, Love. I am the exact same way. I find her fiction so great and I'm really enjoying Big Magic, but I was not an Eat, Pray, Love fan. So yeah. it's nice to see like the full workings of her brain in Big Magic. She's so, I mean, in Eat, Pray, Love, I totally admit that she's like, she's a great writer and can write a great sentence. I just didn't love the content of Eat, Pray, Love. Right. Um, it gave me some, like, uh, some, some unease. Yes. <laughs> I think, like many people. <laughs> Cry me the biggest river, whatever. Anyway, I don't want to get into an E. Pray Love But Big Magic is awesome. And this is her book about creativity. She's got such interesting kind of, I don't want to say out there, but there's a little bit out there, thoughts about what drives human creativity. And it's stuff that I've never heard before, and I'm really enjoying it. Anyway, um, that is a Penguin Random House book, so talking that up. But... Yeah. Um, for book clubs, audiobooks are a great way to read your book club book. So, I mean, obviously book clubs are a great excuse to get together with your people um, talk about books and have food and drink a lot of wine. Actually, my book club is meeting tonight. We are doing brunch, which is going to be amazing. Mm -hmm. um, but listening to an audiobook for your book club, it does a lot of things. First of all, it can provide another dimension to the conversation. If you listen to a book that everyone else has read, you've experienced it a different way and you can talk about that in your book club. So it's a conversation starter. And it's also a way to have people who couldn't, who don't necessarily have the time to participate in a book club because they don't have time to sit down and read an entire book. Um, it gives them a way to participate because, you know, audiobooks you can listen to in your t in time when you're you're doing something mindless. Well, not necessarily mindless. I was going to say driving. That's not mindless. Please pay attention to what you're doing. <laughs> but obviously you can listen to a book uh, on audio while you're driving, while you're cooking dinner, gardening, whatever, when you're outside bagging leaves because that's what I'll be doing. Um, here pretty soon. I'm looking out of my front window and it looks disgusting in my yard, but whatever. Anyway, so that's a great opportunity to get people involved in your book club who wouldn't otherwise. So if you want to give audiobooks a try and you've never done it before, or you want to get your book club into listening to more audiobooks, go to penguinrandomhouseaudio.com slash book club, and they've got title suggestions, including Elizabeth Gilbert's Big Magic. The subtitle is Creative Living Beyond Fear. Judy Bloom's new book, In the Unlikely Event. The new Lisbeth Salander novel, The Girl in the Spider's Web is on there. They also have tips for starting a book club at all, how to pick a theme, uh, audiobook 
club's suggestion questions. If you do listen to one of their books, they've got uh, questions for you to direct the conversation. So lots of tips and helpful stuff happening on penguinrandomhouseaudio.com slash book club. So go check that out. And thank you so much for sponsoring the show. All right, food books. Food books. Yes, you go first, because I have talked for like five minutes straight. (laughs) Breathe. Um, so one of his, actually, uh, one of my first picks here is a book that just came out right as I was becoming a baby bookseller. So I'm really fond of it, but it's a food memoir. Um, hopefully you haven't already bought it for your husband. Um, and it's called Blood, Bones and Butter by Gabrielle Hamilton. Um, and she is the chef. Her restaurant is fairly famous. It's called Prune and it's in New York. Um, but this is sort of her combination memoir slash history of food in her life. Um, and it made me want to be a chef. Uh, and I had no desire for that previously. So I feel like it might renew any sort of lackluster passion. Um, and she, so it's her getting sort of fed all over the world, as well as like in the sort of rustic kitchen, her mom's rustic kitchen. And it's a complicated relationship with um, her mother and her father and uh just how food both can like unite and define really specific moments in our lives. Um, and it's, it's just a beautiful ode to cooking and to food and the role it plays in our world. Um, and I also do think that she's just an amazing writer and there's lots of people with wonderful food stories, but there's not everybody can write about it in a way that makes you want to get up and actually like cook a full Thanksgiving meal on like Tuesday night for no reason. And she does that. Um, and she travels a lot like France and Turkey, I think. Um, and then she also talks about running a successful restaurant herself in a very male dominated industry. So there's that element to it too. But yeah, as you can tell by the title, Blood, Bones and Butter, there's like a lot of physicality to the book. It's a very aggressive book and I liked it a lot. So my first pick is called Dinner, A Love Story. It's by Jenny Rosenstrock. I think I'm saying that right. And she was actually a blogger. So um, I don't know if I would call this like a professional cookbook because I don't know how chefs look at food bloggers as far as whether or not they're professionals. But I don't know. That's that's like an industry I'm not involved in. So <laughs> question mark. Um, but this is part memoir, part cookbook part owed to the family table like the the um the subtitle is it is it all begins at the family table and so the book is about how her and her husband obsessively cook dinner for their family every single night no matter how busy their schedule is no matter how long their work days have been it's like the thing that their family prioritizes above everything else and so there's a lot in here that may or may not i shouldn't mention in the question if she has kids so this might not apply to you but there's a lot in here about prep and cleanup and food timing and anxiety of trying to feed your kids and all of that. But you can, if, even if you don't have kids, you can go right past that and get to the, the meat of how important it is to sit down and cook for people that you love and how just that simple act of preparing food and nourishing someone that you care deeply about um, solidifies your relationship and does just so much for your, for your family. And it's uh, very much a book for the novice, you know, kind of cook who doesn't necessarily know where to start when it comes to feeding uh, people good home cooked meals. So the the technical aspects of it will probably be way below uh, your husband's abilities. But it's the the writing that I think he'll find more interesting, more so than the the food. I'm sure he already knows how to make like roast chicken or whatever. Yeah, um, but just that idea of how she discovered how important family time was through food, I think, is a thing that a lot of chefs. Like to be reminded of because it's why you get into doing a job like that is because you have a love for the act of it. So it's a, it's a good reminder. And uh, <laughs> when I read it, I did find some of the the book to be a little bit 
not not preachy, but I felt a little judged because she is so really so, insistent on this whole dinner thing. Yes, like so <laughs> insistent about it that can really feel like, well, I ordered a pizza, so am I going to hell? You know, like are my kids gonna hate me? But I I don't know how much of that was like me projecting, or how much of that is real in the book. I think it might just be me though. So uh, grain of salt there. But I did really enjoy it. So that's dinner, a love story. Nice. Hey, to Hannah. Um, my next one is Make the Bread by the Butter, um, and it's by Jennifer Reese, and it's uh, the subtitle is What You Should and Shouldn't Cook from Scratch, um, over 120 recipes from the best homemade foods. And the reason I really like this is it it is a very practical look at all of the um, sort of like locavore, whole foods movements of really trying slow food, you know, really what works and what's works on a practical level, as well as including like gorgeous, wonderful recipes that I've been making now for like three years. Um, and I love it. And it's like everything from prosciutto to pickles to whether or not to like cure your own meats and beans and do you keep chicken in your yard or should you chickens I mean in your yard or should you actually just go buy some eggs and (laughs) um and it, it adapts to like living in the city versus living in the country versus living in the suburbs and it's just really really fascinating so she again she was sort of like this food blogger person and she committed to a year of she was going to like make everything, like not buy bread, not buy, but like the whole thing and then figured out like what was actually worth it. And it even gets into like the economics of it. Um, just like literally breaking down, like how much time I spent, how much money I spent overall, like how did this pay out in the long term? Um, but it's written from a place of just sheer excitement and also really conscious awareness of just the amount of pressure. If you're kind of any kind of aware person of how much pressure there is to make food ethically. And if you're a passionate food lover and you're someone who loves to cook, that that can actually be difficult in a different way than just trying to like get food on the table by the end of the day, because you're already spending all this time and energy and money into food preparation and, Um, like what you keep in your kitchen is a huge reflection of who you are. Mm -hmm. Um, and because of that, it matters even more to her, like how the food's produced. But she also just is like, listen, I'm a real person and I have to like live my life. Um, so it just really breaks it all down and it's, it's had a big impact on me. And I just think it's a book more people should know about if they love food. Awesome. Okay, my last, well, second, whatever, next one is uh, Tender at the Bone by Ruth Reichel. This is from, coming at it from the opposite perspective of a chef. So Ruth Reichel is a famous uh, New York food critic, restaurant critic. And so I thought it'd be interesting for him to have a different perspective of the food world other than from professional chefs. Um, So she's super famous. And this is a food memoir. And I love this book so much. It actually is. So it starts in her childhood um, with... The, her introduction to the food world being the, the cooking of her mother. And her mother was actually an awful cook who was notorious for giving everyone food poisoning because she was so, like, thrifty that she would she would feed them food that was way past, like, not even past the expiration date, but, like, visibly rotten. Ooh. She would figure out a way to cook it and feed it to her family, not just her kids, but, like, she would have dinner parties based around food that was, like, past when it should be eaten. Um, so that was her introduction to the food world. And then she goes off to um, boarding school and one of her wealthy friends takes her home for a holiday for, for food and she discovers the the like amazing world of souffle and the amazing <laughs> world of rich people and how they eat. And then she moves to Berkeley for college and during the organic food revolution in the 70s and has a whole new food experience 
there. And so the book goes through time, through her uh, her growing up, learning to love food, and then it, it stops when she becomes a food critic. So you never actually get into her life as a food critic. It's really just about one person growing up and learning what food can mean to you and how, what it can mean politically and what it can mean to you and your family. And uh, it's so funny. Like, it's just really funny. And her second, man, I wish I could remember the name of her second memoir, but she wrote a memoir about being a food critic. That's, it's funny because it's, it's, she got so famous that she had to start wearing disguises to restaurants <laughs> and I can't remember the name of it. You know what? Hold on. I'm going to find it anyway. So it. tender at the bone is uh, garlic and sapphires. That's what it's called. Garlic and sapphires, the secret life of a critic in disguise. That's the one that's actually about her food critic life. So you can go either way. You can go Tender at the Bone, which is a memoir of loving food, if you think that your husband would prefer that more. If you think he would be more entertained by, by the actual antics of a food critic, then uh, Garlic and Sapphires would be one to pick. But either one, they're both by Ruth Reichel. They're both amazing. So, all right. Question one. Ooh, done. You want to read question two? Sure. Go to town. Um, <laughs> so... Uh, Question two, um, she loved listening to Cheryl Strayed's Tiny Beautiful Things earlier this year, and it made uh, her realize that the audio format works really well when the book's in bite-sized chunks, which I totally agree with. Um, could you recommend anything else in a similar vein, fiction or nonfiction? Good books, well-read, in short installments. I imagine epistory novels might work well for this. Um, and she's already read Guernsey Literary Potato Peel Society, uh, 84 Charing Cross Road, and Francis and Bernard. She also thought memoirs or letters would be good um, or books of short stories. Um, and that's from Claire. Okay. So my first pick for this one is When Women Were Birds by Terry Tempest Williams, which is a book that I love so obsessively that it's probably unhealthy. Um, <laughs> so Terry Tempest Williams is a Mormon writer. Her, her, she grew up Mormon and her mother, as good Mormon women do, kept journals all throughout her adult life. Mm. And when she died, she had three shelves of journals, 54 journals, that she left to Terry Tempest Williams. But when she got sick, she told her, I'm leaving you all of my journals, but you cannot read them until I'm gone. So she dies. Terry Tempest Williams mourns for a while. Then she goes to read her mother's journals and realizes that they are all blank. So for her entire life, her mother has been fake keeping journals, but not ever actually writing anything in them. And so When Women Were Birds is, uh, it's 54, like really short chapters or meditations on women's lives, their internal lives, and the idea of having a voice, especially in um, a really kind of religious community. And mm. it's really thoughtful. And if you, it's, it's Cheryl Strait-ish in that she's not trying to teach you anything about yourself. She's not trying to make you a better, wiser, or more interesting human being, but you will end up being a better, wiser, and more interesting human being by the time you're done reading this book. And it's so lyrical. I think it would work really well on audio. So... There you go. First pick. Um, for me, I'm going to get, say, my favorite audiobook of all time, which is Bossy Pants by Tina Fey. Um, and I do think a lot of people have either heard of it or read it. It's It's been a bestseller since she published it a couple years ago. But the audiobook is how I recommend reading it. And it is laugh out loud funny and very touching and so actually uh, uh, aware of 
the absurdity of our day-to-day lives in such a way that you wouldn't expect from somebody who's like the famous TV person. Um, And it also has really incredible life advice for the workplace and in a way that I haven't really actually encountered in most books about women in the workplace that are supposed to be about women in the workplace. (laughs) So, um, and of course, it's insanely funny and features a lot of delightful tidbits of her time on SNL and in... um, uh, and her own show, 30 Rock. Um, but the beginning part of it, not surprisingly, is a lot about her growing up in like a very typical American Pennsylvania childhood in like a middle class family. And it's just got, I don't know, it just very much so resonated with me in a way I wasn't expecting. And it told kind of a story that I think gets overlooked a little bit, which is one of the things I love about epistolary novels because they tell a little bit more of the everyday um, because that's how letters have been used for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was such a very plain, delightful description of some of the good things about growing up in the U S and uh, in addition to all the other things I mentioned. So, and the, of course it's po- totally broken up by different moments in her life. Um, and then there's delightful things about like snippets of living in New York city and stuff you're going to overhear. And it's the perfect walking or cleaning your house or driving thing. The only caution I give to driving is that I had to pull over once cause I was laughing too hard, <laughs> so, but yeah, it's, it's really perfectly chopped up so you can like do a task and listen to a chapter of it and then <clears> move on. Okay, my next pick is a collection of short stories called Diving Bells, B-E-L-L-E-S, by Lucy Wood. Uh, This came out in 2012, and I think this is a great short story collection for this time of year. If you live in a part of the world where you're having fall right now, Mm -hmm. um, if you don't, then wait until you are to read it, I think, because it's such a weird book. Um, It's got Every short story has supernatural, creepy elements to it and so it fits really well with like trees dying and rain and clouds so the like the title um story diving bells is about how husbands are being lured into the sea by mermaids and wives can get them back by paying a fee and being taken down into the sea in a diving bell um to get it plain words there you go Mm -hmm. uh in a diving bell to get their husbands back and There are uh, stories about uh, like a nursing home for supernatural creatures and a woman who is turning to stone, houses that fill with water. And it's all magical realism, so it's all told very matter-of-factly. And the stories are pretty short. So if you like that thing about tiny, beautiful things where the letters are, you know, easy to get through bite-sized chunks, then I think that you will enjoy this. And it's so atmospheric. Like, I I have these moments where when I'm driving down the street, I I sometimes imagine that I'm in a music video. I know I'm not the only person who does this. No way. Yeah, Yeah, okay. And this fits into that. If you're that sort of melancholy person, this is so perfect to listen to while you're driving, especially this time of year, because it's so moody. And you'll just feel like you're on your way to do something epic and weird, even though you're going to the pharmacy. Yeah, it's great. So yeah, that's Diving Bells, B-E-L-L-E-S by Lucy Wood. Do you want to give us one more? Sure. Okay. Yeah. Because um, she's got a bunch here with question marks at the end on this agenda. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's just, uh, I actually taught a class once on epistolary novels and I can't get over them. They're great. So um, just read all the epistolary novels on audio. They're good. They're good audio. Um, but as for another great thing to hear, um, I'm going to actually recommend pretty much anything by Sarah Vowell. Mm-hmm. She probably makes some of the best audio listening. Um, but she just has a new one out that's called Lafayette in the semi-United States. And, um, it's vying for the favorite spot against an older one of hers called Assassination Vacation. Um, and they're both sort of 
American history in chunks that are really delicious and just give you a fuller picture of either early life in the U.S. and how it relates to now, which is Lafayette in the semi-United States, or obviously terrible moments in our history, bending around assassinations, and uh, how that's kind of created our American landscape and consciousness. And she is funny and has lots of pop culture references and is snarky, um, but she is just a fantastic historian on top of all of that. So it, it's really, really great listening. And you'll learn a little something while you are being entertained. All right. Question three. I just finished reading Sweet Frances and was intrigued by the differing na- native perspectives pre slash during Nazi occupation and World War II. Are there other books, fi- fiction or nonfiction, out there like Sweet Frances? Also, where might I begin with other Nemirovsky works? And that is from Running Bassett. Um, so if you're not familiar, Sweet Francis is a uh, novel that was written by Irene Nemirovsky about the Nazi occupation of uh, France. And it was discovered after, or po- posthumously. Um, so that's a little bit of background. Do you want to give us our first one? Hannah, you can start. Yeah, sure. So my first one is a nonfiction book, and it's called A Train in Winter, An Extraordinary Story of Women, Friendship, and Resistance in Occupied France. And it's by Carolyn Moorhead. And I love it because I read a lot of World War One and Two histories, and rarely are they a do they include women at all, and b uh, rarely are they like this much of a personal narrative. So these are literally women who were running around in opposing not the Nazi occupation at great risk to themselves, um, and they do things they. Um, basically escort Jews out for safety. They transport weapons under their clothing. Mm. Um, They convey messages. Um, And so it features um, uh, a midwife, a dental surgeon, a chemist. I mean, just all these different stories. And these are personal narratives. Um, And it's just this beautiful resistance. And a lot of them were hunted down by the Gestapo. And a lot of them met um, harsh ends. And a a few of them lived on to tell these tales. And it is really... Uh, just an awesome piece of history that is is fantastic. And again, it just sort of gives you this uh, untold story of this huge resistance happening like while France was occupied, but it's told in a very personal way. So my first pick was actually mentioned in question two. It's the Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society by Mary Ann Schaefer and Annie Barrows. This is an epistolary novel that was really popular with book clubs when it came out in 2008. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just so, it's very heartwarming and lovely Sweet Fran- uh, Sweet Frances is not necessarily heartwarming. So yeah. <laughs> um, if you're looking for the same tone as Sweet Frances, it's probably not a good pick. Uh, but it is the same kind of subject. So it's it takes place in January of 46. The Second World War is over. And the main character, Juliet, is looking for, for... She's a journalist and she's looking for something to write about. She gets a letter from a man um, who is from the island of Guernsey, which is off the English coast and was the, I think, the only... English land that was occupied by the Germans during World War II. And she starts a correspondence with the person who is sending her these letters because he found her name and address in a used book. And so they start this correspondence and she finds out all about the people who lived on this island during the Nazi occupation. And they started something they call the Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society, which is ostensibly a book club that the, that the citizens of Guernsey started, but was in reality a cover for them uh, so that they could meet after curfew to exchange like black market goods and news and, you know, formulate the resistance essentially <laughs> um, to the, to the occupation. And so uh, Juliet becomes just fascinated with the society and their taste in book and how much they books and how much the society 
starts as a cover, but then actually does grow. Like they do actually start talking about books and learning to love books. And she sets sail for this island and what she finds there, um, you know, changes her life. And there's romance and great epic stuff that happens um, in this book. And the the letters are all very uh, kind of warm and funny. So it's got that, mm, you know, I don't, it's just, it's just lovely. Like it's just a nice heartwarming sort of thing, but it does have that element. It, I mean, it centers entirely around the Nazi occupation of an English island. So it does have that. Um, and I just really liked it. I don't know. I don't usually go for these like very sweet kind of books. And it does have just by virtue of its content, an undercurrent of darkness. But mm-hmm. at the end of the day, it is really sweet. And I just I really liked it, which I don't normally like that kind of thing. I don't normally Agreed. like nice stuff. But I Agreed. I don't normally like these books either. And I really, really enjoyed this one. All right, you are up. <laughs> Um, not a nice book. (laughs) It's Lovers at the Chameleon Club um, by Francine Prose. um, And it takes place in Paris in 1932. So it's sort of the rise of everything awful. Um, Francine Prose just writes great prose. Uh, and it, it's, it's sharp and just really well constructed. And this, this book has a lot of different viewpoints and she still manages to move the narrative really wonderfully. Um, and it mostly centers around, um, uh, Lou Villars, um, who is a, uh, cross-dressing lesbian, Olympian, (laughs) um, just really an incredible character who's actually like a a actual character in history. And then a bunch of the other sort of people who were centered around, um, at this club, the chameleon club actually in Paris. So it's a, it's a historical novel. Um, and there's photographers and art patrons and, and writers, lots of American writers. Um, and basically, Lou falling in love and not being successful and gradually she starts to actually work for the Gestapo in order to ensure kind of safety um, and then becomes very good at it. Um, and so it's it's really interesting because you get a lot of different perspectives and you get a little bit of a deep dive into how somebody can go wrong and, mm-hmm. and the background to that and why it might sometimes work for that person to to go with what we consider so obviously the enemy it's a really really interesting book and it definitely goes on the darker side of this moment of history yeah all right my other pick is the illusion of separateness by simon van bowie this is such a tiny little it's like oh it's so good it's, it is it's a it's like 200 pages but it's such a gut punch it it does that thing that i love in books uh with the interconnected narratives like where you think you're reading a book of short stories and then you realize that everything, uh, all these characters know each other somehow. So you start, uh, the book opens in 2010, uh, focusing on a character named Martin, who's an elderly caretaker at a retirement home in LA. And you learn all about him and how he came to be with his adoptive parents in Paris, how he came to the US. And then you meet Hugo, a character in 1981, who's a maintenance man um, at the Manchester Royal Infirmary. And he befriends... A young boy. And what's interesting about Hugo is that a good chunk of his head is missing. It was blown away during World War II in Paris. People are, of course, kind of scared of him because he looks sort of monstrous, but he's actually, you know, not, obviously. You meet a U.S. bomber pilot in World War II who crashes in France. You meet his great-granddaughter, uh, or 
no, his not great regular granddaughter. You made his single grand granddaughter who is blind. And the connection, the big connection that the book centers around is between Martin and Hugo and how um, they knew each other during the war. But then you find out how all these other characters are connected to the main story. And I don't want to, I don't want to get into too much more of the plot because it's kind of spoilery. Um, but it's got interconnected narratives, but I, which I love, and a, a view of World War II, both during and after. Um, and it focuses on the participants as well as their family and how the war affected not just the people who were in it, but people who were, you know, seven years old in 1981 and how interacting with someone who was in the war can change that person's life. And it's just, it, you know, it's all about the illusion of separateness, I think. I'm pretty sure that's what the book is about. I think it's about that. I'm yeah. 100% certain. Um, <laughs> and it's so short, you'll, you'll get through it so fast. So I really do recommend that one. I think we have time for one more from you. Do you want to go ahead and give your third one? Sure. Okay, um, go for it. Yeah, um, it's called End the Show and On by Alan Riding. And it, it's, it's about art uh, in, during the Nazi occupation of Paris. And uh, theaters and musicians and, and, you know, everything from the very high to the very low. And it kind of questions and examines, um, well, kind of how dare you put on theater shows while Nazis occupy Paris mm-hmm. and sell tickets and, and all of this. But also, what, what is the role of art? And, you know, they were bringing joy and kind of that balance of the question of, it, are we supposed to be staging protests instead of staging shows and and how is theater supposed to interact with um war and with like cultural plight and it's just really really interesting and it's a short fairly short book and i just think anyone interested in either this time period or kind of the politics of art would do well to read this book all right question four hi Hello. Hello. I, I have discovered a newfound love for essay collections. In the past year, I have read and loved both Bad Feminist by Roxane Gay and The Empathy oh. Exams by Leslie Jameson. Is that your dog? <laughs> that was Buster. <laughs> Hi, Buster. <laughs> I would love to get your recommendations for other smart and snarky essay collections. They don't have to be about feminism or empathy particularly. Any theme is fine as long as the writing is engaging. And that is from Heidi in Maine. So why don't you give us your first pick? Um, my first pick is Unspeakable by Megan Dom, and it is amazing. Um, I have a massive crush on Megan Dom, so I will try to control myself. Um, but her first book was called My Misspent Youth, and that was definitely basically like the soul of the Gen X woman, like in New York, wandering around eating pastries and starving um, <laughs> somehow simultaneously. Um, and this is Unspeakable, which is um, 10 new stories that have taken place over the past few years. It, it, this book came out last year and it's really incredible. So some, it revisits some older subjects of like misspent youth and not being able to control her bank account and like you're just incredible ambition. And then growing a little bit older and dealing with, uh, parents passing and trying to deal with a little bit of success and all, all of this, all of these things. But on top of that, Megan Dom writes really concise, wonderful essays. And so you like listen to or read an essay and it just gives you so much to think about. And it ties into so many aspects of life and pop culture and everything. And then you're just like, okay, I need a minute. <laughs> um, and she is, you know, definitely often compared to like Joan Didion or, or just sort of those great um, epic writers of sort of like second wave feminism. And she's, I feel like kind of ours. Um, so I have a, a lot of love for this book in particular. Um, she also has a really incredible, um, essay in here called Matricide, which is exactly what you think it is about. Uh, and 
just like her honesty and just complete and utter openness are really incredible. And, but I do think there's also still that snark, still that wit that really, I think can make an essay or harder subjects kind of fly in while you read them. Okay, so my first pick for this was Men We Reaped by Jasmine Ward, which is about five... Okay, so it's about Jasmine's growing up in uh, Louisiana. And it's about five men in her life, five young men in her life, who die before... I think like thir- I think they're all under 30. All, yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's her brother, her friends, her cousins, kids that she knew from her neighborhood, that sort of thing. And they're all young black men. And so the book is really... I mean, they all, they die from different, uh, different causes, but sort of not, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, they die from being black men. Yeah, exactly. At the end of the day, they've all, all died because of racism, you know, and, and so it's such a hard book to read, especially if you've never thought about privilege in any way. Um, but it's hard for me to think about, um, essays uh, about feminism without thinking about this book, even though it's, it's about black men, it's not at all about fe- feminism, like on the surface, but feminism is so much about um, intersectionality. And I think it's so important to consider how the feminism that white women need is not necessarily the same as the feminism that anyone else, you know, on the planet needs. And um, if so, I think it's a great introduction to that whole concept to the whole idea of of white privilege. And, you know, I listened to this book when I listened to it on audio, when I was um, on a road trip back home to where I grew up in southeastern Virginia, and I was driving down all of these streets that are named after like Confederate generals, you know, and stuff that I'd never, mm-hmm. and not that I didn't know that that's dumb. But it, I had never thought about how much of a slap in the face that can be to a person of color growing up in the South. And, and I don't know, it was just the most thought provoking thing I've probably ever read in my life. And so if you're, if you're on an essay kick, and you really want something with a lot of meat to it, that'll challenge a lot of what you think is true about living in the United States. I'm assuming that, oh, she does. She says she lives in Maine. Okay. I was assuming that she lived in the U.S., which might have been wrong, but it wasn't wrong. Yay. Uh, It'll challenge a lot of what you think is true about living here, especially um, from, you know, a white person's perspective. You, You just, you just don't know, you know, you just don't know what you don't know. And I'm, I'm not white. I'm, Filipino, but it's still completely different. You know, I'm Filipino and I grew up in the South and my experience is still 100% not the same uh, as what Jasmine Ward's friends and family went through, obviously. So anyway, I can't say enough like good, amazing things about this book. Everyone needs to read it. Whether you like essays or not, please go. Go please do it go now. read this book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Uh, I, I just want to plug, I feel like this is the best little book, little essay. It's a single essay, so maybe it doesn't count, but um, it's We Should All Be Feminists by uh, Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie. Um, she wrote Americana. She featured in Beyonce video. I mean, what more do you need to know? <laughs> um, and it is exactly like a, hey, this is a book about feminism and what it is, and here you go. And you just like hand it to people, walk into bars, throw them on the table. Mm-hmm. That's my life goal, just to pass this book on to everyone. Um, and it's, so again, a single essay, and it's amazing. And it will broaden your mind, even if you're already into feminism, it really gives you actual things to say. And she is, of course, a writer that you're like, oh my God, that sentence, that mm-hmm. sentence is exactly the sentence I've been looking for my whole life. Um, and it's just a really wonderful book. It's based off of her TED Talk, so you can also go listen to that too. So my next pick for this one was On Immunity by Eula Biss. And this was a very slim little uh, book about, well, exactly what it sounds like, 
immunity vaccinations. And the thing that I enjoyed so much about this book is that it, she is talking about the history of our fear of vaccinations. And it's not just, you know, the, that scientific, that whatever, I don't even remember his name, but the, the fake scientific study that, that falsely linked vaccines to autism. Um, it's not even just that it's a, it's, it's Dracula, you know, and she, mm-hmm. she talks about all the literary connections that the fear of vaccination has in our psyche. And um, so like vaccination and vampirism, it's just so weird. It's weird to say out loud, but when you read it, you're like, oh, that makes, oh, yeah, that makes that total sense. sense. Yeah. <laughs> like, how did I, how did it never occur to me that I was scared of it because of vampires? Like, obviously, <laughs> but, um, but she's also a mother and her research for this book started because she was considering whether or not she wanted to vaccinate her own children. And uh, so she is very kind about it. And when you read books about vaccinations from either end of the spectrum, people who always, always, always vaccinate or people who never do, um, they're usually very like accusatory and, and yeah. rude and what, aggressive, I guess. Um, but Eula manages to not be any of those things. I mean, she's looking at it from an intellectual, a philosophical, uh, a scientific perspective, but she she does it in a way that manages to still assume that uh, mothers, it's, I mean, it's mostly mothers, to be honest, but also fathers, but she manages to do it and still assume that parents aren't dumb, that they're yeah. doing what they're doing out of concern for their children and that they, they do know how to read a scientific study. And, uh, and that's nice. I mean, it's nice to read um, a, a, essays about vaccination that don't assume that you're, that you're an idiot, <laughs> because a lot of them do. And I'm, I'm 100% always vaccinate, always, always, always. But, you know, a lot of my friends aren't. And I was able to recommend this book to them knowing that it's factual and and thoughtful and interesting but also kind to to people on all all ends of the argumentative spectrum so i appreciated it a lot it's also really fun and smart and weird <laughs> so yeah it really goes into a lot of stuff you might not otherwise think about it's so good yeah 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 all right you've got one more go ahead throw uh, it out <laughs> sure I'll, I'll be quick it's the informed air by muriel spark which was like the last collection of essays published um i think it was last year by new directions which is a press that i love um and so they kind of went through and made a bunch of they re-released a bunch of her essay collections and this is just one of them um and it's like all of her latter essays and she writes about everything she writes about um, literature. She writes about just uh, things that were current events that are now kind of history. She writes, she writes, but Muriel Spark writes so well. And um, I just thought it, it really might apply to you because um, you just said like any theme, as long as the writing is engaging and this is really engaging. Um, and she's such an interesting woman too. So it's like kind of a chance to get inside of her brain and pick it through. She's most famous for the prime of Miss Jean Brody, um, which is a novel, but she wrote after that, like so many more essays than anything else. And they're just great. It's like having just a genius sit in your living room and talk to you. (laughs) All right, let's do our second sponsor, and then I will have you read our fifth question. That's cool. Totally. All right, so our second sponsor is Room, the movie. The movie. (laughs) So both highly suspenseful and deeply emotional, Room is a unique and touching exploration of the boundless love between a mother and her child. After five-year-old Jack and his ma escape from the enclosed surroundings that Jack has known his entire life, the boy makes a thrilling discovery, the outside world, of course, as he experiences all the joy and excitement and terror that this new adventure brings he holds tight to the one thing that matters most of all his special bond with his loving and devoted mother and this is of course based on the novel room 
by Emma Donahue, and it's directed by Lenny Abrahamson. <laughs> and the uh, screenplay is also written by Emma Donahue. So yeah, I'm excited uh, about that. Yeah. So woo! I always I love when they involve an author as much as possible in an adaptation. Because it, it always, uh, it, I mean, no, no movie is going to like totally nail what every single reader has in their minds. But when the author's involved, you get as close to that as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, it also stars Academy Award nominee Joan Allen and Academy Award nominee William H. Macy, who I love so much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the, book, the movie is out uh, in New York and L.A. It came out October 16th. It is going to be released nationwide on November 6th. So I think by the time the show comes out, you should be able... No, this comes out on the 5th. So the next day, tomorrow, when you're listening (laughs) to this, tomorrow on Friday, November 6th, you can go see Room. Uh, You can get tickets or get more information at roomthemovie.com. So thanks so much for sponsoring the show. All right, read us question five. All right. Um, so this person, uh, Janelle, says very nice things to us from Australia about <laughs> Book Riot and about you, Amanda. Um, and then she asks, um, I have a recommendation request for myself that I'm hoping you could help me with. Um, she's been feeling restless in her work life and craving a complete change of direction. And she's been doing a lot of soul searching um, to make her dreams into reality. Um, but I'm not a natural risk taker, she says, and I'm also a tired parent. So I find uh as quick motivation and momentum come upon me, they're gone again. Um, I think we can relate to that. Um, I'm looking for stories where people who have made great changes in their lives, especially in their careers, to help me push through the fear and failure of feeling overwhelmed and keep me inspired to pursue my goals. Bonus if they are in the world of books and publishing. And again, that's Janelle from Australia. Okay, so my first suggestion for this is nonfiction, which is, and it was also mentioned in, a, in question two, I think. Question two. It's also the best. It's so good. It's Tiny Beautiful Things by Cheryl Strayed, which is the book that I recommend to anyone who is having any problems about literally anything ever in their life. Because it will help. It will help you. Okay, so this is a collection of essays uh, from back when Cheryl was Dear Sugar. Uh, I'm not sure how familiar you are with it, but Dear Sugar was an advice column from The Rumpus. Um, And she wrote it anonymously as Sugar for forever. And then when Wild came out, uh, her memoir, it was revealed that she was Sugar. And so they collected a bunch of her best answers to her questions that she got in Tiny Beautiful Things. And she covers so much. In this. I mean, she gets questions about love, marriage, career changes, college, like, college, what, how to deal with the death in the family. These are all really heavy questions. I mean, these are not like etiquette questions. These are like, how, how yeah. do I deal with my life questions? And her answers are always so empathetic and kind and helpful, which is different. It's new and different to uh, advice columns that are actually helpful. And the thing that I love about Tiny Beautiful Things is she's so here for you for being a tired parent. And she's so here for you when you get motivation and then lose it. Like, she's been there in that pit. She's been there, um, especially when it comes to creative stuff. Um, and it, she, Her answers are just really human. They, they always emphasize and respect how humans can change their minds and change their feelings so quickly. And so she's... She's so helpful when it comes to sticking with a thing or sticking to making your dreams happen. And it sounds cheesy when you say it that way, but there's nothing cheesy about Cheryl Strayed or about this book. she's hardcore. (laughs) Yeah, totally hardcore. I mean, it's so helpful and so loving and kind. Like, Cheryl Strayed is the wise mom that everyone wishes they had, even if you have a wise mom. She is better than your wise mom. (laughs) And my mom is awesome. Cheryl Strait is better at advice than my mom, and she doesn't even know me. So so anyway, tiny beautiful things. Tiny beautiful things. 
Um, yeah, I love that book because it gives you, it's a forgiving book without yes. letting you off the hook at the same time, which is so hard to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I evidently love uh, books by comedians. Uh, <laughs> so um, my first pick for you is How to Succeed in Business Without Really Crying um, by Carol Liefer. And I really like this book. Um, she is a, a writer. I mean, she, God, she's written on everything. Um, Seinfeld, SNL, um, Devious Maids, I think was her most recent one. Um, and so she, all over the comedy spectrum for like the past 20 years, this woman has been a comedy writer. Um, and so it's really inspirational, A, it's just like successful female comedy writer. Um, and it, it's also like an entertaining memoir on one part, but a lot of it is actually she's shaped the the book around actual tips for how to survive mm-hmm. <laughs> in business without crying all the time while starting, while chasing your dreams, while trying to do something creative, which like it, it sometimes is just going to dry up and it's not going to work well for you. Um, and, and just how to avoid things like uh, not developing a drinking problem, um, <laughs> how to uh, handle a compliment, how to respect people that you admire, that you disagree with, um, and how to keep doing uh, what you're doing. And just a lot about work ethic and drive. Um, And of course, it's funny and delightful and fairly slim. So it's not an intimidating book about success and work. It's nice. It's small. So my second pick is a novel that I think will give you some warm fuzzies while you're dealing with kind of a difficult... Uh, time. And it's The Storied Life of A.J. Fickery by Gabriel Zevin. And this is a story of a bookseller named A.J., obviously, mm-hmm. who lives on an island and he runs a little independent bookstore. And he's so grumpy. Like, he's so grumpy. He doesn't like anyone. He's a total book snob. Um, he doesn't like e-readers. Like, he's just got a lot of problems. A lot of He's people. a grumpy, grumpy man. So grumpy. Like, he's he's the archetypal grumpy individual bookseller that you have in your in your mind when you think of like like black books you know that yeah yeah yes. very black books. that's who aj fickery is <clears throat> and then something big changes in his life um i guess okay, it's not is it that much of a spoiler no mm. i think i don't think so okay. i mean it happens pretty early yeah so he gets uh a, a little baby well not well she's like one or two i think it's very small child a small human child is abandoned in his store and so he takes her in and uh, she thaws his cold and grumpy heart, as small children tend to do. So he's got this giant upheaval in his life. And he meets uh, the sales rep from a publisher who comes, uh, a new sales rep from a publisher who comes, uh, I, I don't know how familiar people are with the book industry, but that's what sales reps do for publishers. They go visit bookstores and explain to them uh, what their publishers are putting out that they should sell in their store. And they strike up a friendship um, and so there's just a lot of upheaval in this, in this guy's life and he is in the book world, but the book world is changing. So it's not necessarily, it's not necessarily a novel about him finding a new career, but he has to change a lot about what he's doing to keep his store open. Mm-hmm. Cause you can't in this day and age be a grumpy book snob who hates the internet and still stay in business really. So, um, so this, this small person comes into his life, shakes everything up and totally changes his world, which you're, you're a parent, you know what that's like. So, um, I don't know if this book will give you answers necessarily like tiny beautiful things probably will but it'll you'll relate so much you know and it's it's a hopeful story because it it ends nicely it ends well for him and and his little family his little makeshift family and i just really like it it's really good 
Um, my next pick is Bird by Bird by Anne Lamont, which is technically a book about writing, but it's really more about life um, mm-hmm. because it's Anne Lamont. Um, and it deals a lot with who, uh, all the things we do wrong in our lives. <laughs> and if you only ever read one chapter of a book, it, it would be a very particular chapter called Radio Station KFKD, and you should sound that out and see what it sounds like. Um, and it's just about the monsters in your head who are telling you that you're a horrible person and you're never going to succeed and you're you're not paying enough attention to your kids and you're not paying attention to your kitchen and uh, your dog needs to be walked and this person's more successful than you. And she talks about how to turn that radio station off or change the channel. Um, and it's, it's like, I go back to this. I read this book, I think, when I was 16 first and I think I've probably read it like once a year since it is an incredible book about getting your shit together and being kind uh, at the same time and it's really wonderful I think Anne Lamott's incredible um and she's really honest about her life and about being obsessed with perfectionism and getting the over the hurdle of like actually getting started and really doing the thing um whatever that thing might be so hopefully that will help you it's bookish but uh even if you're not a writer if you're trying to do publishing if you're just trying to read more the the whole thing is just wonderful all right last question question six hello longtime listener of book right podcast super excited about this new show oh thank you uh, was wanting to request a recommendation mainly because I'm having a lot of issues with finding a book similar to my request. I was wondering if you had any recommendations for books similar to The Royal Tenenbaums. This is, I guess, a little peculiar as it isn't a book, but uh, themes from a movie. And so the themes that most connect with me are the, ex- the eccentric family, every family member having an established personality and characteristics, the relationships between the large ensemble of unique characters, and the concept that not everything or everyone is fixed in the end, but there is some redemption or healing. I read The Interestings not long ago, which I greatly enjoyed and thought had some aspects of Tenenbaum in it, but was smaller and not eccentric enough. Hoping you can help. And that is from D. So I think the book that you're looking for is The Family Fang by uh, Kevin Wilson. Oh, so The Family Fang. <laughs> so, which, when the book came out, um, got a lot of comps to The Royal Tenenbaums. And it's about an artistic family. The parents are performance artists. Their kids, uh, they call them Child A and Child B. The boy's name is Buster. I think the girl's name is Annie. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so the the parents raise their kids, making them perform, manipulating them emotionally to perform in their performance art pieces. And their performance art pieces are about disrupting um, comfortable social situations. So they will pretend to be shoplifters at the mall. They will hand out fake coupons at a chicken restaurant just to watch what will happen when the coupons don't work. Um, So what they call art, most of us would call just being really obnoxious. And they raise their children to participate in that. And so the book rotates back and forth between flashbacks to the family putting on pieces of art and present day where Buster is a grown up. He's a failed novelist who's now working as like a Joan Didion style uh, kind of gonzo reporter going out and getting personally involved in situations he's supposed to be reporting on. He gets shot in the face with a potato gun and has to go home back to his parents' house to recuperate. Annie grows up to be a famous actress and uh, goes on a very rapid downward publicity spiral uh, because of her whatever personal problems and um, goes home to hide out from the publicity of that and to kind of take time off and recover. 
and get her life back on track. So you flip-flop back and forth between their childhood and their adulthood now in the house with their parents who are now elderly performance artists who are maybe losing their touch a little bit. Um, Every character is bizarre and quirky and strange, and the relationships aren't exactly fixed. And it's not as large of a cast uh, as, the, as the Royal Tenenbaums is just by virtue of two kids instead of, I think there are four in the movie. Um, but it's got the same tone and the same kind of self-aware, winky-week kind of comedy. And it's really, really great. And that's exactly what you are looking for, I promise. Yeah, it's, it's, it's so spot on. It was like the first thing I saw. And I was like, oh, Amanda already seen this. Great. <laughs> Bye. Um, no, great. Um, I'm going to go back in time um, mm-hmm. for a book called I Capture the Castle by Dodie Smith, um, which was out of print for a really long time. Um, and it is back. It came back a few years ago, um, I think partially because J.K. Rowling loved it. So I, I feel like that should tell you some things. Um, <laughs> it's so great. It's so great. And it, it's about a, a man who writes an amazing mathematical theory and then essentially locks his family in a tower. Um, And he's got two daughters who gradually become young women and their stepmother, who is not uh, the wicked stepmother at all, but she is a completely inept stepmother. She wanders around naked uh, in uh, wellies in the rain and does dances. And she's very like earth mother. um, Mm -hmm. And then the teenage daughters are like, I just don't know what to do. And the (laughs) girls have been like very kind of isolated, kind of just like living in this sort of slightly broken down tower. Um, and this takes place in England, by the way, of course. Mm. Um, and her, uh, so it's her and her sister and they've basically been brought up by Jane Austen novels. And then, uh, in a truly Jane Austen novel way two eligible young gentlemen move into the nicer house sort of attached to the tower and like neighboring house. And, uh, like they expect it to progress like a Jane Austen novel and it's reality. So it doesn't, <laughs> Um, but really the, the main character, Cassandra, you're in her head. And I actually kind of have this secret hatred. It's not so secret of first person narratives, but when they are pulled off, there's few things better, which is why I'm so harsh about them. Um, so th- this is really in her head and in her mind and in her journals, cause she's journaling this whole thing. Um, and you kind of watch her become aware and, and watch her look instead of for validation from like these two gents to like actually figuring out what on earth she would really want out of life because she's never really imagined anything beyond. But the, the cast of characters, the, these two young men who are just completely bewildered by these two Jane Austen figures in modern day life. Um, and like their own weird ineptness and their growing up kind of in the American West and then making money and buying land in England. Cause that seemed like a thing. Um, the sort of father who's trying to, who's writing like basically elaborate puzzles locked in a tower the naked stepmother and then like the sister who like just is trying to be Jane from from Pride and Prejudice and not succeeding um the whole thing is just madcap and wonderful and I just want everyone to read this book okay my second pick for this was Ghana Must Go by Ty Selassie and this is oh man it's so good like I can't even words um So it's got the same conceit as the Royal Tenenbaums where uh, the patriarchal figure has an illness that brings the family together as grown-ups, except in Ghana Must Go, it's not an illness so much as he dies in the first page. Yeah. Um, and he's not been living with the family. He abandons them for reasons you discover as you read the book. Um, in their childhood, there were four children, a set of twins, uh, a boy and a baby, and his wife. And he abandons them Um and I don't want to tell you why, because it's a kind of spoilery. Anyway, and so he dies on the first page. He's got a new wife, and he lives 
in a very nice modern house that he's built um, to kind of fill the hole in his heart where his family used to be. And then when he dies, all of his children who haven't seen him since he left, so like I think it's 15 years in the book, come back together um, to kind of rake over the coals. And every character is eccentric, but it's not in this... um, the Royal Tenenbaums characters are eccentric in a really kind of funny, tongue-in-cheek way, and these characters are eccentric in a painful and dark, and they all need therapy kind of way. Definitely. Um, yeah, not that, I mean, obviously the characters in the Royal Tenenbaums all need therapy, but this isn't, it's not, there's not a lot of humor to it. So it doesn't have that particular tone, but it nails everything else that you're looking for um, with the eccentric family, and the, it's got the larger cast of characters, and there's there's healing and closure and all of that, but, um, you know, not everyone goes away hunky-dory happy awesome. Um, and it's really a book about loving the beauty of your life, no matter how hard it is for you to do that. And I really loved it so much. And the writing is so it's, it's like sparkling, like it's so alive and sparkling and you'll read it in a sitting. She's um, amazing. Even though it's hard, like it's, it's, it's a, it's a book about how bad people can be to each other, but you won't be able to put it down. And I really love that book so much. So why don't you give us one more and then we will be done. Woo! I'm going to recommend another, I'm just blasting from the past here, um, a book called Oreo by Fran Ross, uh, which was just reprinted. It was originally printed in the 70s and just came back. Um, And there's few things that deal with like race and neglect Mm -hmm. and abandonment that are also hilarious. (laughs) Um, And so this is, and it it is, uh, the reason it reminds me of the Royal Tenenbaums is because it's like a crazy family with like this, this like driven you know, very postmodern family. Um, and then like this child just kind of like in the wake of like, what are you people doing? Um, and, uh, so Oreo is a biracial young woman being raised in Philly, um, in the seventies. And she then like sets off to New York, like on a madcap journey to find her father who is Jewish. She thinks she knows. (laughs) Um, and it's also, uh, a classical retelling or a retelling of the classic, the Odyssey of Theseus. So, there, there is that like deeply rootedness that you also find in Wes Anderson, which is like a reference to a reference to a reference to a reference, which you can get or not get. And the book is still enjoyable. Um, so there's a lot of music, a lot of craziness. You run into just really incredible characters. But overall, it is just one of the funniest books I've ever read um, and just really like bold characters. Um, and it has like a particular place in, in like book history and it was sort of forgotten. So I'm really excited to see it back. Um, and yeah, it, it certainly is a tale of somebody just really dealing with the insanity of their family, um, in a way that is familiar without actually just probably being exactly what would really happen. Um, and when she kind of, when kind of, when the book concludes, it doesn't have the ending you're expecting, um, which I really like because it wasn't just like, and now we're all going to hug and then the music's going to play because mm. you abandoned me. <laughs> it was great. And that makes me feel so nice. Yeah, I love being abandoned. All right, that's our show. Woo! Woo! Thank you so much for, for coming and bringing your expertise. So much fun. This was like uh, walking around my bookstore and talking as fast as I can about my favorite things. Yeah, it's, it's hand-selling on I loved in it. podcast form. Uh, so thank you so much for listening, everyone. If you like the show, please go give us a, um, some star ratings or review on iTunes. It makes the show easier to find uh, when other people are searching for it. You can find us on social media. I'm on Twitter at I'm Amanda Nelson. 
Hannah is at Oliver Depp. And thank you to Penguin Random House Audio and Room the Movie for sponsoring the show. Don't forget about Book Riot Live this weekend. You can use the code Get Booked. We will be recording a live show of Get Booked, an all-romance uh, episode with Sarah McLean. So you will have a bonus uh, episode in your feed next week. And then after that, I think, let me think, who do I have on after that? I think Karina Glasser is coming on to talk about Kid Lit. I'll double check. That's awesome. That, yeah, because that's not an um, area of literature that I'm super familiar with. So she's a, <laughs> she's a Kid Lit author herself, and it'll be a lot of fun. Uh, so if you have any recommendation requests for kid literature, you can send it to getbooktobookwrite.com or any recommendation requests about anything. We will be doing a holiday recommendation episode in December. So start thinking about the bookish gifts you want to give and who you want to give them to and send your questions to the show and we will talk about them in December. And that's it. Have a great day, guys. Yay, have a lovely day. Enjoy your books. <laughs>